I'm Matt Gren, I'm head of business at Scalac, and today on our session we have Radu. Radu, could you introduce yourself a bit? Hello, hello. So my name is uh, Radu. I joined Scalacy for two months now. I'm a Scala developer there. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here. Do you enjoy working for Scalac? You know, what, what is uh, your take on that? It has been uh, interesting. In the, um, I mean, all these months have been interesting also due to the uh, Corona context. Yeah. Uh, a new project, new teammates, a new working environment, everything's new. So people are really nice uh, and have helped out with transition uh, from my previous job. So everything's going great so far. Awesome. Awesome. So rather today, I, I want to talk with you about one kind of amazing thing because we have quite um, uh, an interesting observation on our blog. We see a lot of traffic coming to key clock uh, topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, actually, it was a blog post written by someone in the past, and yeah. and uh, you know suddenly we have so much traffic, and uh, the whole thing for for today's call is to understand this kind of. Uh, situation of course you know we we love to have traffic but there is certain reason why people google about key clock right so yeah. um, that's uh, that's kind of the whole concept and I invited you for this call because uh, when you joined Scalac you actually were one of the few ones who who have the key clock experience so mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, to learn more about from your experience how you you know deal with that solution in the past and why you think it, it, it becomes popular, you know, that kind of things would be great to hear. So mm -hmm. my first kind of question, you know, from where you know key, key clock? So how you, you know, experience with it? About it. Yes. So um, I've worked, I think, six or seven years ago um, on a project called PicketLink, which is, was uh, an open source um, project that dealt with security. Uh, it was in the Java enterprise context. Um, and I worked with it on a freelance gig that I had uh, at that time. Uh, so a couple of years passed. Uh, I then, when I uh, then started leading the department that I uh, previously worked at, um, there was, uh, of course, uh, a new some new projects coming along, and the context uh, was in such a way that you had to think about identity management from the beginning. Reason being, uh, the way um, departments were structured um, and how projects were flowing to my group, uh, it kind of led to something that uh, had to be thought of in the beginning. So. When I started thinking about okay, what solutions uh, you want to have, is of course you write it write it yourself. But then it's like you invest in it, so this means developer times, bugs, things like that. Uh, you get something off the shelf, uh, but that costs. For example, um, like Auth zero is like a really nice solution, but it costs. And when we start the project, it's really hard to get funding for for that. And so you look at the open source landscape. So I knew PicketLink, I wanted to see where it had gone and I saw that it evolved or rather it had joined uh, the suit, which is now called Keyclock. 
So in essence, Keyclock is an identity and access management solution. Uh, it's basically handling, handling uh, user information, authentication, integration with other identity providers, etc. cetera. Uh, it's open source. Uh, it's really customizable. Um, and it, all, it became like a really important part uh, in the uh, ecosystem that we were building at that time. Okay. So, you know, when I was an engineer, because I was developing systems for around seven years, you know, there were some ready, ready modules in, in, in for instance, in uh, uh, Microsoft uh, frameworks, because I earlier was a Microsoft engineer uh, yeah. that gave you all kind of a default authorization notification uh, flavors in the framework itself, right? Yeah. But then you would have to um using some special command line tools generate some subset of schema for it and mm -hmm. and you're done so this is there right and there are of course in then i switched to ruby on rails and and in, in the ruby on rails then you have all of these nice gems that also give you these kind of nice flashy things and yeah so um when when i look from the perspective of, of a business you know so I can have a, a solution that is uh, totally in my control, or yeah. almost in my control, and mm -hmm. something magical which is kind of a you know kind of big uh, compared to I don't know downloading a, a framework or or picking up some stuff. Yeah, uh, I think the control level is much smaller, right? So when you pick such solution like Keyclock, then you are, you know, just taking the whole piece piece of it, and then you can't do much of, you know, digging in it. How, how am I right, or you know? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, yes, from from that aspect, you are totally right, and it's probably it offers you much more that you that, or rather, it offered much more than we actually used it for. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was double click and, and it worked, you know? Okay. Uh, also, it is uh, an implementation of the OpenID Connect standard. Mm -hmm. So once you have your applications using the system, if they understand OpenID Connect or SAML V2, as far as a way of uh, doing the authentication flows, then they, don't need to be aware of the fact that they're actually talking to Keyclock. So because of the use of standards, then this can be hidden away. Now, of course, if you go, for example, it is a Java landscape-ish uh, project. So at the time when we started, they had uh, good integration with the enterprise context and good integration with the Spring framework. Also, they offered JavaScript integration. Now I think it grew. Community also started writing plugins for it. Uh, but then again, it's not something that you have to take in uh, fully. You can, in a way, decouple yourself if you stick to using clients that are built for OpenID, for example, and not directly to Keyclock. So you can do that. So that's one thing. Now, as far as customizations go, it's, you have the option to extend it. Uh, it is following the Java modules subsystem. So it's like they have, uh, I think it's based on the Wildfly server application. 
So if you follow uh, like OSGI patterns and things like that, so it's pretty again enterprise-ish, then then it's fine. I mean, you can you can customize it. For us, we actually written two plugins that we needed in order to integrate with other systems within okay. the company, and it worked. I mean, it was fine. I get it. Yeah. So there are, there are ways to extend it with your own plugins. You, you, it fulfills certain open standard which, standard, which means that actually, even if you want to get rid of it later, you just mm -hmm. have to use yeah. something else that has the same standard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it gives you kind of a chance to get out of it. So from that perspective, it sounds good, but um, still, you know, it's Java-based, right? And Java mm -hmm. is usually JVM, Heavy, yep. heavy guy coming comes into the house, uh, yep. so I'm I'm still wondering how business you know is you know dealing with that so that they have to introduce new dependencies right so JVM is one of them right maybe they are not totally touching JVM and, and yeah. now they have to deal with that so they have mm -hmm. to deal with new dependencies and how how is with the performance because. You know, usually when you have in control the whole database schema and you have users in it, you can, you know, design the whole database in such way that you have control on the performance. Yes. yes I, I guess it's it's not in your database anymore. Some some part of the data is in Keyclock database, right? All part of the data is in Keyclock, yes. So, so, so here it's, so Keyclock in itself is a standalone application. So for us, again, it was, it's good that if you have like a microservices architecture mm -hmm. and you think of identity and access management uh, handled by Keycloak, then it's fine because uh, you're talking with the HTTP or something like that. And so in time, as business needs progressed, we had uh, written a wrapper around it so to act as a, um, so, so it was like a, a, a small service that added some business value that was requested, uh, but it also added caching, so so as not to overload the server. But that that got that was added only when we when, when I think business developed in such in such a way to ask for these things. Uh, other than that, you interact uh, with like on a REST API and so HTTP basically with it. And for us, it wasn't an issue. I think at maximum, so it was like. Again, it was, I won't say production ready, but it was a research platform for, for, for us. So I think at most there were like a thousand users, something like that managed by Keycloak. However, there's also an important aspect that needs to be taken into consideration is the actual database implementation because it offers you integration out of the box. So it's like JDBC, meaning that you put MySQL, Postgres, or things like that and also Mongo, so it has two flavors whenever you want to start it. So it really depends on how the, um, I guess, like what resources you also put into the database. For us, uh, we were running on a cloud environment, it's the, actually the AWS, we had uh, an Aurora cluster set up for it. So uh, we had, uh, there was a nice distinction between what means write, what means read. So we delete the replicas from, uh, from Aurora and that, that, I mean, it, it really wasn't an issue at all within, uh, I guess, the whole life cycle of the project. This is actually something that we didn't even notice it, notice it was there. And I think it crashed once. I can't remember exactly what the error was, but this, it was like 
during over three years. So we like, honestly, we just put it there and forgot about it. So that was like really nice. I get it. So in the end of the day, it's a piece of software on JVM that can connect to your database using, you know, connectors that are common. And, and you can work on the database level to scale it up and, and maintain the whole scalability. And it's not part of Keyclock at, at all. It's it's just about whether you set up these databases in the proper ways, right? Yeah, it's about how you manage your infrastructure, I guess. In a sense. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So performance-wise, I think business is covered. So they have control on the performance. Mm -hmm. From the perspective of uh, kind of vendor lock-in, it also is not the case because it fulfills certain standards. So you can just take it out and put something else that, you know, or even write your own module that fulfills this this API and and, mm -hmm. and, and you are not vendor locked uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, and how about security? Because, you know, it's an open source thing and, and many companies are using it. And actually it's quite quite close to the outside world right so it's not a piece of software like i don't know spark or, or kafka that is in the closed and uh, hosting environment sending messages on local yeah. IP addresses and you know yeah, have yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's kind of a, a, a an open source guy that you put that you put a bit on the edge of your security right because yeah. the security layer has to communicate with and clients which mm -hmm. are in the internet. Yeah. So it means that if there is a vulnerability in Key Clock, you might have this vulnerability, right? So Yes. I guess so. I guess so. But then again, I mean the project is quite mature. So I'm thinking that your own custom solution might have much more uh, vulnerabilities than the key clock has. Yeah. It's, it's like something that I mean I, we started using it at Keyclock version three, if I remember correctly, which was like four years ago or something like that. And now they're at version nine. So it's actively developed. And the thing is, is that the, I think, so a lot, of, a lot of aspects go into security. Now I'm not an expert on anything like that into, into, in this topic, but just thinking about having to write your own stuff. And then the thing is, is that, so there's, this is one, so you have to take care of security vulnerabilities, but you also need to take care of how you do integration. Because if you work, if you work in a corporate environment, that then for sure there will be other authentication solutions or identity providers that you would have to link to. So then you lose time writing those stuff or finding plugins that you have to make work together. While this, for us, again, it worked, I guess, really good because they, I mean, you have LDAP integration, which is basically what, what, what you find in every enterprise, I guess. Uh, so, and you can defer authentication to other identity providers. So for example, um, I say that the whole company uses um, a service for authenticating. You can defer authentication to that uh, service. So it's you no longer you, you don't need to store uh, passwords, for example, for users because there's a concept of user federation that's going on. And it can be configured quite easily with it. And I guess for public projects, they are probably interested in doing social integration with Facebook and Google and Twitter and things like that. And for that, they have like 
designed menus for integrating with Google. So you just fill out some like client ID, secret ID, things like that, and, and you're done. So if you if you build a system in such a way that you don't need user passwords or things like that that have, need to be stored, then you can get away with it because you can defer to other identity providers. And I guess vulnerabilities come, uh, but it, I think it's more about also how you architect your entire uh, stack or rather your entire technical approach on whether or not you put, so you don't open it directly to the internet, you probably have something like an API gateway in front, maybe you can do I don't know, we could do rate limiting in front of it, things like that, that I think, I think are done for every public facing service, not, not only authentication. But then you're right, authentication is really sensitive because it's like, it's like really important, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, but I, I think you're right that, you know, um, people tend to think that their solution is more better and, you know, mm -hmm. good stuff, but, well, the, the upside with your own solution is that no one knows the source code, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, true. You have yeah, I guess, to know I guess. the source code, at least if it's written in, in any kind of decent way, to be able to sniffle around and, and find out where are the, the loopholes. And with the open source, you can spend years on, on analyzing all the cases and you, you might find a way how to get into it. But yeah, it's it's kind of a theoretical discussion rather than practical because from mm -hmm. a practical perspective, um, it it sounds good. Um, I'm looking from the looking from practical perspective. There is one kind of thought I have is that okay, but if you just need you know simple sign up page where you are you know just passing email and mm -hmm. and, and password. Uh, is key clock still a, a valid solution? Isn't isn't it a gun for a cannon for a fly? Kind of. I think so. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Okay. If you, if you have like a simple web app, then I, I don't think it's like needed. If you have a microservice infrastructure or rather ecosystem, then yeah, probably I would go. With yeah, yeah, yeah. Distributed things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And for us, it was uh, so. The way the project, uh, or rather, I guess the whole platform evolved is that, uh, so first of all, there were multiple programming languages. So you had to be language agnostic. Uh, therefore, standards are important. So OpenID Connect again. Um, and it also had to had a fine-grained uh, control over what scopes and roles you allow on certain applications for different users. And you can do that again with the, uh, with the OpenID standard and its associated flows. So it was something like, um, say some user from a certain department had the rights to perform certain queries on a database or things like that. And for that you needed scopes. And yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it really helped because it was more about configuring it than implementing something. So as far as time to actual, actually delivering something of business value is much more uh, small than if you start to, if you need to start writing your implementation. And again, especially maybe, I don't know for like production projects on what the mentality is, for example, but for research projects, you try to have the experiments running as fast as possible to validate an idea because uh, there's no point in spending six months of developing a security solution if the actual 
of let's say algorithm is worthless you know so you want to get uh, a fast turnaround into observing what the behavior of the algorithm is rather than focusing on uh, i guess identity and in a way if you think about it i think so there are in time right like all things are not necessarily automated but are kind of like provided for you like uh, how cloud did with infrastructure how security is handled or things like that which yeah i think the idea is to unburden your team or yourself from having to write these things but just focus on like what you have like the added value that you want to have i guess with your project okay yeah so I think, well, there is one remaining thing that I guess is, again, an upside of Keycloud, but I just want to be sure that you have same opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all of these DGPR kind of uh, dramas uh, currently, and people mm-hmm. do not know how to deal with GDPR in their solutions, right? And, and actually, user accounts is the, is the sweet spot of it, right? So mm-hmm. place where you can identify the person who is using your system. So yeah. I guess Keycloak is uh, compiling to the, uh, complying to the GDPR requirements and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so again, I'm not entirely sure about the entire requirements in terms of GDPR stuff, but uh, you get like audit logs, for example. So you it has like events that trigger it triggers when somebody logs in or somebody registers or somebody changes their password or things like that I mean you don't have the information of course but it, it does have events and also um, again you I think but, but I think this is like application specific because um, for us it wasn't that we had users that we didn't know about. We actually had users that we wanted to onboard in terms of research scientists and things like that. Whereas GDPR was more related to the actual data that we worked on, not necessarily the user accounts. So maybe, maybe, maybe in that sense, I mean, not sure exactly how or rather well, there is right, there is, for instance, right to be right to be forgotten, right? So that mm-hmm. you can, on your own, opt out from the mm-hmm. service, and then you have. So I guess Keycloak has to have some features in that regard, or at least allow you to. Well, to, yeah, I mean, if it doesn't, I'm not aware of any. But if it doesn't, then I think it, you can augment it because it has like a REST API, like so you have you could have a service that says, okay, delete this account or whatever, mm-hmm. hide this information i don't know <laughs> things like that and uh, in regards to cloud because you know it's just a piece of software so you can install it wherever you like you can install mm-hmm. it on a dedicated server in a cloud or um, and all that stuff but in the cloud you also have identity prov- providers managers mm-hmm. like yeah aws you have cognito but I guess the the difference is in the in the fact that you can install the the key clock on your premises, right? So that you can yeah. integrate it with your I don't know Active Directory thing or any kind of sweet juice that you have in your enterprise, mm-hmm. and it's it's closed, right? It's not connected to the cloud in a, in an easy way. So I guess this is the reason why key clock is not actually comparable to 
uh, AWS or to any other cloud solutions in that sphere because mm -hmm. it's not it's not for that reason. It's it's for for the purpose of kind of uh, uh, the advantage is that on on premises solution can integrate easily with Keyclock and it's not so easy with with uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In our example, we were using. So um, I don't know if you heard of OpenShift. Um, Just it's a like bit. A, it's, it's yeah, a, so it's pretty yeah. much like a, like a open source project for like private clouds and things like yeah. that. So when a company wants to log something in, and then um, I think I'm not sure that, but I think if you get like a paid subscription to Keycloak, or maybe you pay them some money to something. I, I, I'm not sure exactly. They they even have like a direct integration with OpenShift because I think it's done by Red Hat, so it's like the same company, and they do OpenShift, they do Keylog, so they have some some stuff that they like plug and play. Or I think now they can even deploy them as containers because I think OpenShift migrated to Kubernetes as an engine okay. uh, for running it. I get it. Okay. And and what are the other com direct competitors you mentioned? I think in the beginning, right? It was uh, yeah. I think it's Auth Zero. Um, with Auth Zero, I don't have so, uh, so much experience, but from what I read online, it's like an awesome solution. Um, but they have, they do have like a pricing models, and I think it's in terms of number of users. So it could work. Um, honestly, when we started, I did I. I found out about Old Zero much later along the project. So at that point, it's like, whatever, it works, it's fine. I didn't even look at it. I did some, like, I played around at home a little bit with it, and I, it's pretty nice, pretty nice. And I think that, I think that when I tried, um, so it, it was a long, so a couple of years ago, actually, Old Zero integrated much more easily with the Play framework from Skyl. Because for Keycloak, for example, uh, so they do provide you, so you have to write some your own custom logic, and probably they have adapters now to make it more easily. But with, so I think it was more in terms about how the threading model is in the framework. But that was in the beginning of the of the framework of of, of Keycloak and how you do integration with other technologies. I think in time they matured a little bit. With Auth0, it was like super easy to do uh, with Play at that time. But yeah, I did, uh, things progressed like with any any other technology, and I'm sure that easy integration with uh, other frameworks and things like that are on a, are, are a priority for somebody that wants to get adopted, I guess, <laughs> in as much projects as possible. Yeah, I guess now all of these things are already settled for Keyclock as well, so it's not really a drama anymore. Yeah, yeah, probably. So basically, there there is a direct competitor to Keyclock. However, it's bidding pricing model for a bigger pl bigger players means that they have to pay uh, kinds quite some money for it, and and therefore companies might go into Keyclock because it's it's not having the same model. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. And there might be other competitors that I don't know of. Um, but yeah, um, in our case, I think Keycloak really helped us. So, just and, I'm very happy with it. Do you think that there is something missing in this piece of software that you you might find in the future in other solutions, and and this would con con convince you to switch, or it's a complete solution that probably will stay for for years on the market? Because you know what else you can do with 
authorization <laughs> notification, right? Uh, well, I think it's mostly about how a web identity will evolve. Mm -hmm. At this point, I don't think, so at this point, I think probably, I mean, Auth0 and Keyclock as well are complete solutions in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know how identity will evolve because it's clearly, so I guess time will tell, but it's basically like a sort of a tension between you having to remember and passwords on all the websites that you're creating accounts to versus giving all your data to like Facebook, right? So I don't know, maybe in time, like identity will evolve or rather how we understand online presence for a certain person, right? We'll, will probably evolve and maybe other standards will come out, come up and who knows, maybe Keycloak will have to adapt or other solutions would be used instead of it. Okay. Well, to me, when I look from, from the perspective of this conversation, it looks to me that, you know, for, for bigger players, for bigger companies, um, they probably already have some identity providers, right? So, but that they might have something written by themselves and now they have to, you know, deal with new integrations with, with other providers and suddenly they realize, okay, I have to write some, something from scratch again. Then mm -hmm. they, you know, consider key clock. That's one, one case, I guess, because another case is when you know already that you will have to integrate with a lot of, a lot of identity providers and you are just starting. Yeah. Um, and you just want to have things like you mentioned in the research research moment. You don't want to write for for weeks or even months uh, this piece of software, but you just want to validate your basic assumptions in the software and yeah. and make make users uh, you know in your make 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 it available in your system and don't think about how it's done. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, and I think I think from what you said it looks like Keycloak will stay for longer, right? It's not like a, a short-term fashion. It looks like uh, the software will, will become really a, a piece of uh, a lot of systems, which already yeah. is. So yeah, I think so. Uh, unless Alf Zero changes its pricing model, because it, they might. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know how much you have to pay for it. Maybe they're really cheap, and for companies that have money, they don't really care. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know. The thing is that Auth0 gives you managed solution. Yeah. Well, Keycloak, you, you have to manage yourself. Exactly. So, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's a trade-off, I guess, with how much money you want to, or rather, if you have the infrastructure in your company and, uh, I guess, a person that's willing to do the actual maintenance of the server and things like that, which in our case, uh, we had, versus you're starting on your own and you have no idea how things will go, you'll probably go without zero because then you don't have to manage anything. So yeah, I, I, I would say that if I were, you know, just starting a new software uh, venture, mm -hmm. I would probably start with out zero because mm -hmm. there is not many users coming in and probably it won't gonna harm me much or even with AWS Cognito because why not? Although yeah, I was dealing great. with, I was dealing with AWS Cognito and it, it is not really fun <laughs> yeah. to configure it. It's not real fun. So at least, you know, my, my DevOps guys were trying to do a lot of things, you know, at Scala and they, they, they trying to do a lot of optimization on AWS to have 
everything in the proper way, set up mm -hmm. using all the tools on the AWS and, you know, Cognito forever and all that stuff. And it yeah. was not rocket science thing. It was really simple stuff like, you know, CI/CD pipeline with basic authorization authentication and, and all this set up from scripts automatically, right? And it was a drama. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's not that they are not experienced. It's just that there are, you know, these tiny, tiny blocks in AWS are not always in a perfect way shaped together. So, so this flexibility in between them is limited in certain cases. Okay. So yeah, it worked. It worked, but we, we spent quite some time in learning uh, how to do it right. Mm -hmm. So probably if I were, you know, just thinking about okay, let's create an account somewhere and, and have this done, then I wouldn't go into AWS Cognito thing because it's a lot of configuration crap. Uh, I would just go to such thing like Auth0. Uh, mm -hmm. They are just for that. Yeah. Um, but you know, later when when things go great and i have a lot of users then probably i would have this kind of decision moment where i would either yeah. go to some custom stuff or aws cognito or yeah yeah um, and hopefully hopefully you get to that point right yeah of that course means, that's that's that the path, like, right? yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah uh, and, and i don't want to spend weeks or months on dealing with you know users i just want to get them to the right value proposition so yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah Cool. Radu, I think, um, I think we exhausted the whole topic. Um, okay. It was a really joyful call for me. I, again, I, le I learned a lot from you, so it was really valuable. Um, thank you very much for this and um, stay healthy. You know. Yeah, you too. You too. <laughs> Other time.